Good morning. Um, it's a pleasure to, to join you here this morning, and especially I felt privileged to just walk in and immediately see familiar faces. That's such a treat of the Mennonite community, uh, just church hop and feel at home. So I wanted to say that to start off. Um, the scripture I chose today... Oh, I thought this could go backwards. There we go. Um, has, it's short, but since it's... it's um, it's so foundational in its interpretation, it, I think it has really huge implications. And it's been on my mind a lot lately because the word steward is often replaced with a word that's more like rule or dominion. And, and the word dominion has come up in a lot of conversations I've had last, in the last few months on the subject of sustainability. So I was, I was pleased to see, I, would, I just kind of said, here's the scripture line, or the verse I would suggest, and I'm pleasantly surprised to see that the version that is up here today says steward instead of rule or dominion. Not that rule or dominion is wrong, but that's the, that's the word or the term that was especially um, of interest to me. And I wanted to challenge you what, to think about what that word, or the word that's in that position, should mean to us today. Because... It's an interesting challenge to try to explain something like this to an outsider. For example, if, imagine if a spaceship landed on Earth today and outstepped an alien who, who speaks English, and uh, the alien said, Hello, I'm here representing the Intergalactic Standards Commission, and I'm going to inspect your planet today. Who's in charge here? Uh, we are. Um, it says so right here. Um, yeah, there, there are many other species on this planet, but... Um, it says right here, the word of God says, we're in charge. Um, it's pretty clear. Uh, oh, says the alien, did, did, God, did God write this book for you? That, that's good. Uh, well, no, we wrote it, but... Uh, okay, I'm going to need to speak to God. God then, uh, where is God? Uh, everywhere. Uh, you can see how it, it, calls some, it raises some questions. Um, like maybe maybe sharks should be in charge. They've been here for 20 million years on the planet. That's that's significant. Or or squirrels. Do they have a book that says, uh, like maybe the the book of acorn that says they're in charge and has rules for them. Oh, or cats. Cats for sure. Cats for sure would have a book that says they're in charge. But anyways, that is my my invitation to you is to to challenge that thought about what it means to be in charge, what it means to do it, be a steward or be ruling this planet today. My talk, or was, or I was asked to speak about this subject of food security, and so I've um, collected a bunch of ideas and organized them in, in a visual format here. So I'm going to speak um, just about the images that come before us. And Eileen um, told me that to share lots of slides, so there are a lot. So I'm going to speak very minimally, and I've prayed for uh, the ability to speak calmly and slowly as well. <laughs> so hopefully that plays out. And I've organized this as a, as a meal kind of format here. We're going to start with an appetizer, which will whet your appetite, hopefully, to the idea of food production. I'll, that'll be the background of my food production experience in Saskatoon. And then talk about the main course, which is the logic behind the drive and the motivation behind these choices that I've been making. And lastly, dessert, where we'll talk about um, barriers to change and limitations there. So 
I've, since 2014, I run Chain Reaction Urban Farm. We grow food in the city. Oh, the slides are up there too. That's really great. <laughs> uh, so, what, what I basically do is convert weedy spots like this, large weedy spots, into productive vegetable spaces. Same spot. And I just do this over and over again, making use of empty... <laughs> <laughs> uh, empty space in the city. So, but we live in Riversdale, so I d I've done my best over the years to concentrate our plots into a small zone right there. Those green spots were the uh, plots that we've had focused on recently. So there's one. Here's another one. Not your typical home garden because it's filled with larger patches of, of vegetables, so I don't want, necessarily want to have all of my crops in each spot, but Intensive vegetable production. The methods that I used are pretty familiar to you. Probably if you've grown food yourself, you start seeds indoors to have con control over the best um, quality. Organize my plots into standard size beds. It's very methodical, kind of, I think of it like running a McDonald's. It's not for creativity or anything. It's very organized because I need to do it uh, efficiently. Um, intensify production with trellises. Wider bed, bed spacing so I'm minimizing my walking space and maximizing my production per square foot, and using very simple implements, just hand-powered tools that have got a tilter on the top right there that's just powered by an electric drill. Um, I have a rotor tiller, but it's been parked for years at this point. And all of our transportation was done by bike. Um, tools and equipment included throughout the whole process. And I wanted to do this to minimize our energy impact, as we'll talk about later. Um, and season extension was yeah, incorporated a little bit, but so there's a low tunnel and eventually I was able to build a greenhouse on the property next to us as well, which helped increase yields in the summertime. And we did still use electricity for things like refrigeration and grow lights, so we wanted to offset that with, um, this is a 6.6 .6 megawatt solar system um, on our property. The food is fantastic. Yeah, food, food speaks for itself. Uh, colors and flavors are just a treat every season and all year round, actually. So I never had to try to sell the food at all. It just kind of, yeah, did the job for us. And on that subject, what made the farm really work was um, our relationships with customers. This was huge. So all the stars here are the, the customers that we had, or our farm members. The yellow stars represent people that came to pick up food from our, our property, and the red stars represent people that were within a delivery area. Um, there's, I don't need to talk about that. Basically, I would either drop off the food once a week at their doorstep, like this, or they would come to our house at a, to the pickup station, grab stuff out of their box, do a little trading and swapping if they want, or adding on in that middle zone there, and walk away with their food for the week. And over the course of a year, um, the produce would look like this. Um, our standard share was 15 weeks long, from the beginning of July to the end of October, and they just my goal was to give them a, a balanced value of produce every week, not flood them with an overwhelm of tomatoes ever or anything like that, just a balanced produce um, because these are people that don't want to have a garden. They want to have the local food without all that work that goes with it. So it's more like a grocery store kind of experience. So I did that from 2014 to 2020. Um, now I've transitioned to something called the Vegetable Academy where I'm focused on more education. And I still love the I want, maybe we'll get back into farming if Rachel will let me someday, but like I had trouble with some knee surgeries, I had a couple tough years there where my dad was sick and kids came on the, picked on the scene and man, it's, 
So Vegetable Academy made sense for a while here. So we're going to do Vegetable Academy, and that is where I educate people and help them grow their own food uh, at home. And I do online Q&A stuff with them to teach courses from the field um, and can accomplish quite a lot, as we've all learned in the last couple of years with COVID here. So um, that's what I do, right? Even a potluck. <laughs> so if you're curious about that, check it out at vegetableacademy.com, but I'm not going to talk anymore about that today. That's what I've been up to. So why? This is, the, this is the main reason why I'm here today. Why bother to grow all this food in the city? And why bother to grow it like this? This is where it gets interesting. <clears throat> I've organized this into three categories of, of consideration, starting with environmental consideration. And that requires a bit of an understanding of the idea of a footprint, that we all have this footprint on the earth, a, um, a certain amount of space that is going to be required to serve us in some way, to feed us or give us the resources that we need to, make, to clothe and, and house our, our bodies. A deer has the same thing. And ideally, if we, when we die, it all gets returned to the, to the planet and it's sustainable. And if we were going to figure out how much of space we had for each person on the planet, that's actually possible. And scientists have done this. They've figured out that we can calculate the average amount of resources we could have on a certain amount of space and call that something, call that a global hectare and say, okay, if, if we put the average amount of resources and products, biological productivity in a hectare, we can start to do some math and see how many hectares there would be for, for each person on the planet. And then we could see, well, what, what's fair? Or how much, how much are we using? Is this manageable? And so that's happened. We've got the numbers. And this, this chart is meaningful for us because it's, it's for Canadians, so that we're kind of average here. But on the left, it's kind of organized by income or by uh, the amount of money that you have. So on the left, in the number one category, we've got um, the amount of global hectares that someone in the, the lowest 10% or lowest decile would use. And it scales up to the richest Canadians in the top 10%, um, which have the highest global number of global hectares with their, their footprint. But the average is, let's cons we're not here to talk about income, let's consider the average of about 7.5 global hectares per person is our, our impact as Canadians here. But that information isn't really helpful unless we consider the average, so that has to be a part of the conversation. In 2012, the Earth's biocapacity, like all of the production on Earth, could be divided up, and if we did that, it would work out to 1.7 global hectares per person. Now it's dropped to something more closer to 1.6 hectares. And if hectare is a new unit to you, that's about four acres worth of land, 1.6 hectares. So four acres of land should be enough theoretically average land to support each one of us on the planet. But the problem is we're up here. So this needs to sink in for a little bit because this calls into question ideas about peace, justice, fairness, equity, self-control from a Christian perspective. Something needs to change so that we can get our 7.5 global hectares down to 1.7 at the very least because surely there are less privileged people in the world that could even stand to use more than their share for other needs. So where is this, this footprint coming from that we also need to consider the causes so we can start making some change happen. So this chart looks at five major sectors of consumption, food on, being on the left, 
But first, let's talk about the housing, the transportation here, goods and services. And this is also ranked according to your income. So the dark columns here represent the, the, the impact of the richest, 10%, and the, the light-colored columns represent the impact of the, the poorest, 10%. And what's interesting about this is that they're all very different these, on these last four, but food is very consistent because we, we all eat. And this, is, this kind of shows why food was so attractive for me as a place to start making change because every time I go out somewhere and speak publicly about this, it relates to everyone. No one can say, oh, I'm, I'm poor, I'm rich, it doesn't affect me the same way. We're all making choices about our food every single day. And it was, it's a great place to start because ne tomorrow I can, I can do something different. So the fact that it relates to everyone and we can make choices about it every day makes it a perfect candidate for uh, starting change. So why is that footprint though, why is that so high? Like I'm just eating lettuce and like stuff that compost, why is that so bad for the earth? Well, it's how it's created that is um, really important to acknowledge. So, and that requires like a quick explanation here of energy transfer and the limits there. So all of our energy on the planet comes from the sun, um, or it has at some point, even if it's fossil fuels, it was from the sun at some point, um, and that, that has a limited amount of energy. And it goes into our plants, the first level here, and there's a lot of energy absorbed by the plants, but not all of that energy is passed on to the, the first consumers. So this first level of the food chain will get lots of that energy, but then they're going to walk around they're going to digest their food. That energy will be lost in the process of living their life. And only some of that energy will be passed on to the next and next. And so the higher we get in the food chain, the less energy and resources are available from the food that we're eating because it's just lost in the process. That's okay, but that's, that's how it works. So how can we model this, or what would it look like, I guess, if we were considering a more agricultural point of view? If we put a pig down there, that pig will eat the grain or the, the slop that you give it throughout its lifetime. Some of that energy will be stored in its body and some of it will be passed on to us, but lots will be lost in the process as well. So only a portion of that energy that the pig gets will get passed to us. So if we want to make uh, more food available for more people, we can consider a change here. But the result of, of depending on animals like this is this world that we've created. This is a neat diagram that shows the, the mass of land mammals on the planet. Every little square on this chart here represents one million tons of mass. The center chart, center zone here, are the mass of humans. Obviously, there are lots of us. But what's more remarkable are all these light gray squares around, which are each representing a million tons of our farm animals. So this side here is cattle. We've got pigs over here, goats sheep, horses, elephants. And if you're thinking, well, where, yeah, what about all the elephants and stuff? They're heavy. Yeah, they're on here. They're just these little green zones. That's all that's left of the wild species in, in terms of mass. So we've, we've taken our desire to eat this way, and because it requires so much energy to create all these, these pigs, this is what it's done to our biodiversity on the planet. So I... I'm, today, I'm, I'm living in a world of, of children's books, and I'm, I'm glorifying the diversity of God's creation, reading about giraffes and bears and coyotes and everything, but I should really, if I want to speak the truth to my children, this is, I should read story, more stories about cows, I guess. But I, I don't want to read that, that story. I want to read those stories about diversity. Uh, so something needs to change here. How can we change this? 
Well, if we just move ourselves slower on the food chain more often, then there's suddenly access to more nutrients, more energy, um, and skip the pig. So vegetables are part of that solution. That's what led me to the uh, solution of growing plants. But then growing plants just isn't the whole picture either. There are different ways that I could grow plants. Some are not so good for the earth, some are better. So some problems that are out there right now with the, the larger industry of, of plant production or food production with plants are that if I put 10 calories of fossil fuel energy in, I only get one calorie of, of energy out in terms of energy. That's not a good investment for, that any banker would want to make, so we need to improve something there. Soil is having, is, we're having trouble with losing uh, thousands of years of, of soil fertility that have built up over time. Uh, water is suffering because of the nutrient leaching and eutrophication over the, um, in the regions of industrial agriculture. And worst of all, what really pained me is that so much of this product productivity is lost to waste in the end. So we can get around the waste by going directly to our customers. As I can only harp, I can harvest the number of beets that I need to give to people. That was a huge gain from our farm just by managing that relationship. I can avoid using nutrients that will leach into the, the river system. I can manage my soil differently. And by doing the work myself, I can solve this energy problem. Mm, this was, I'll, I'll go over this very quickly, but this was just a graph of greenhouse gas emissions in Canada, or no, in Saskatchewan from agriculture, and I blacked out all the ones that were no longer relevant to us just growing food ourselves. So we can just, it's just, it's a quick example of how we can just immediately just opt out of all of that stuff. If we just go into uh, some land and plant, do, and start being willing to do the work with our own human bodies. That kind of sums up our environmental, or my envi environmental considerations. The next are, are quicker and less, less um, sophisticated maybe, but. So on the topic of social considerations, next I was kind of concerned like, well, I feel like I got a job, I had a job at the teacher at a time before I started my farm and I was kind of felt like, well, is this it? I got an like, education, now I'm teaching and I feel kind of like, is this all I do? I get money and then I go out and spend it on stuff that I feel like I need because I watched this commercial that told me I wasn't quite good enough and then I just, is it just this chain, this cycle that just continues? Is that all? I wonder if I could opt out. And especially since all, lots, so much of the food that I'm, or money that I'm spending is just on food. Like, I had no, ex I was raised in a family that just went, like when you needed food, lots of it was in the cooler downstairs. Um, so I would, you'd go down and get it or my parents were responsible for the groceries, so I took it for granted totally. But once I was out on my own, like you realize how often you're just going to the grocery store to shell out more. And the food that I needed to be eating was, I knew that this was better for me, so, and that's the stuff I could grow. So why not take back control? I also knew that students that I worked with that had exposure to this kind of work were always happier. They were, get, they were telling me things like, I stopped, I got off my medication because we're spending so much time like this. Or I don't want to go to Tim Hortons anymore because I love beets now. <laughs> so I started to imagine that, hey, maybe I could... And it, it, I want, the word that comes to mind is, is degrade for some reason, but it, because we think of like labor in our culture now as like the basic form of labor is almost a lower position in society. But I, that I had to come to terms with that idea of like putting myself, removing myself from, the, from academia and make, putting myself in the field as a laborer. 
And the more I considered the social implications of that, the more I started to like it. And I, I was inspired by this, this artistic rendering showing how kind of the, the, the regression of our human culture, like coming back down to this computer world. And I was feeling like that, like you're spending hours and hours answering emails and stuff. And I just wanted to be like maybe, maybe yet more at this peak where the agricultural hunter-gatherer human was. So couldn't be all that. So that, there's a bit of perspective on my social considerations. Economically speaking, I was also concerned about saving money because I, I mentioned previously, like I was going to the grocery store all the time. What if I could just cut out all those expenses out of my life? How much would that save me? Well, uh, this report, the 12th edition of the Canadian Food Price Report, uh, predicts that the average Canadian of family of four this year will spend $15,000 on, on their grocery budget. Imagine if you could just cut that out. Uh, that was attractive to me. And more importantly, that's, that's a $15,000 vote for an economy that I either want to support or not support. So I can channel a lot of power that way as well. And I knew that the money that I was spending at the grocery store wasn't necessarily supporting things that I believed in. For example, I'm just going to read these two short stories here. Um, this one example here says, the piece rate for sweet potatoes in North Carolina averages 45 cents per 35-pound bucket. Average productivity for a worker is about 15 buckets per hour, which means during an eight-hour workday, a worker will produce 120 buckets of sweet potatoes, or 4,400 uh, pounds. According to the 45 cents piece rate, a worker would receive only $6.75 $6 an hour, which is less than the North Carolina's 7.25 minimum wage. Next one is more about tomatoes. A person picking tomatoes in Florida receives the same basic rate of pay they received 30 years ago. These migrant workers toil without overtime, benefits, or medical insurance. They are exposed to herbicides, pesticides on a daily basis, causing eye and respiratory ailments, and even babies born with birth defects. Lacking their own vehicles, they have to live near the fields, often paying exorbitant rents to be crammed into trailers that are frequently lacking basic utilities. So not only am I spending potentially $15,000 if I'm raising a family in Canada, if I'm not looking after the sources of my food, I'm potentially supporting systems like this that I would really like to opt out of and create better alternatives. Thankfully, when starting out, there was an individual whom some of you will know, Eric Yoder, this is Eric right here, who has made a living for decades growing food on half an acre in Rostern. Uh, he would bring this stuff to the Saskatoon Farmers Market. There was another couple of growers in, in the Saskatoon area also that were doing something similar. So I felt, okay, there's proof. Um, we can establish, we can get something like this set up. And Despite that they were going to the market, I, th I wanted to offer membership-based stuff too because I couldn't justify like, spending all, those, all that time just standing at the market and waiting for someone to come by and buy my vegetables either. So that made it a little bit more efficient. Now, where does the money go if someone buys vegetables from me? This is actually my data right up here. Um, if you spend $10 to buy some carrots from me, or if you did in the past, Six of those dollars would go to my labor, and four of those dollars would go to all the other costs of production, like compost and office stuff and packaging and stuff like that, energy. But I'm, I'm showing you this because look what happens when I just transfer that one product of, of carrots 
to a grocer first, which I also did. The markup is, is crazy. 30 to 40 percent is, is added to that cost. So now if you spend $10 at a grocery store to buy my carrots, I only get $3 as a farmer and the grocery store gets $3 as well and the costs are still the same. So what happens when we move our source of food, our food production, miles and miles away and put dozens and dozens of people between our, our, those people in the field that are picking the tomatoes and us in the grocery store is that everyone needs to take a cut and the ones that are closest to us are taking the biggest cut and there's, there's nothing left for those people picking tomatoes. So we have to create systems that connect people more closely and when we can, there might be just enough to go around uh, for the farmers there but we need to, that was a part of my big motivation for going direct to people. So there's the main course. Uh, thanks for bearing with me. Economic considerations, social considerations, and um, environmental considerations. Now the dessert. Here's where, this is my favorite one because it's about excuses. I love to bash excuses or like just take them out of the picture. <clears throat> for the first excuse, but I don't have enough land to grow my own food. Neither did we. None of these properties are owned by me. So it's possible. There are loopholes to get around that. Don't let that be a barrier. Next reason, but what am I supposed to eat in winter? Well, here's a look at uh, what we ate in January this year. We measured all of our food for one year, or not for one, for one week of average eating, and all the green selections of the pie are, are homegrown vegetables in January, and all of the blue section, this is 29% blue, was purchased food from a grocery store. And even this purchased food could be locally produced um, food if we wanted it to be. So like the potential is real here for growing and eating our own food even in, in Saskatchewan in January in the winter. But locally grown food is more expensive. Yes, it is more expensive and in fact all food is more expensive than it used to be. But we're spending so much more on the rest of our lives that food pales in comparison. And this graph illustrates that really nicely. It shows the the, our spending, personal spending, over the last 50 years as Canadians. I'll point out three lines here. The, the first line is the average spending on food over the last 50 years. And it's increasing gradually. So yes, we are spending more on food. This blue line that's increasing rapidly is showing our overall spending. So that's increasing much more rapidly than our food spending. And the result is that we're actually spending less, like a lower percentage of our money on food these days than we used to. In 1960, we were spending, that's the red line here, in 1960, we were spending almost 30% of our income on food. Today, we're spending closer to 15% of our income on food on average. Now, the next thing, there's more stuff on here that I, I will not read. <laughs> but the, the idea, uh, so where you could go after this or where your mind might wander as well, I'm, I'm not a rich Canadian, I'm a poor Canadian. Um, but so I wanted to flash this graph as well too. This is the global income distribution of the planet. So if you're up here, you have a high income annually. If you're down here, you have a low income annually. And if you can't read these, the countries here, they're organized by country. This yellow chunk is India. This red chunk is China. This is other, very, other areas in Asia. This green strip is Latin America. Uh, this pink strip at the bottom here is, is Africa. 
and the blue chunk right at the top is developed countries. So that's where we fall. So even if you're feeling like you don't have a lot of wealth in Canada, if you are living here and taking advantage of the social services and our infrastructure, you are rich by comparison. But everything else is more expensive, right? In our world, it doesn't, it doesn't matter just to compare dollars. Everything else is more expensive. So what is it, the larger houses that we have in Canada? Is it, is it our cars that are, that are challenging our spending? Is it the vacations? Like, there are huge expenses that we're, we're participating in that are not related to food that we can definitely cut back on. But I'm just one person. Rachel and I talk about this all the time because we know there are problems and we feel like, well, is it, is it that important for us to change because we're just one person? And we just keep coming back to this idea like, well, yeah, if I, I'm a drop in the bucket, I'm just a drop in the bucket, but I'm also a drop in the bucket. Like, there's no, there's no magic answer to that. I, should I, do I want to be in the good bucket or the bucket that's hindering us all? Like, I might as well put myself at least in the, the bucket that's helping. But we need better political leadership first. Certainly that needs to be part of it, but I also know that political leadership responds to spending and industry, so if we vote with our forks, if we take that $15,000 that we're going to spend for our family and we push that into areas that um, will, can start to thrive, we'll change the economy slowly and political interest as well. And the last one, but God will take care of everything in the end. I think this excuse stems from, from one of two problems. One is that they don't understand the magnitude of the problems. I have to believe that when face-to-face with a problem like those mentioned this morning, that 99.9% of people would make better choices. Once you know, people are naturally good. We're just, we're just so disconnected from the far-reaching consequences of our purchasing decisions today. So the solution here is, is more education. The second reason someone might use this excuse is that they use Christianity purely as a self-serving practice. They might like the idea that God loves them unconditionally or that Jesus died for their sins. And they might see their role as only to have faith that there is a God. And someone with this mindset might even use faith as an excuse not to act, thinking, sure, my lifestyle is, is making my life or making life worse for my neighbors my children and and the many generations that follow and God's amazing creation may be destroyed in the process but I have faith it will all work out and that faith is what's important but faith without works is dead maybe the solution here is to invite these people to let God work through them after all if if we are made in the image of God and consider ourselves to be called to act as God's hands here on earth then wouldn't it make sense for God to restore the earth through us and not to wait for some doomsday inflicted by God? So some serious changes are in order here, and the sooner the better. And to help you with that, I'll close with three of my favorite lines on the subject of change. Number one, whoever tells the stories defines our culture. We need to start reworking our conversations that we're having about this. So when someone says, oh, the food is just so expensive, we need to alter that, that mindset with our stories that we're telling. The second line says, if you, want to create, if you want to change the system, create alternatives that make the old system obsolete so that it just becomes the obvious choice. Um, and that's such a more positive way to think about it. We're not trying to get rid of the old. Let's just create something better so that it just, it's so much 
more attractive than the old way. Um, then the last one, people need dramatic examples to shake them out of apathy. And this inspiration is, is taken, I have to admit, from Batman because the next line says, and I can't do that as Bruce Wayne. So Bruce Wayne is his personal um, identity in the real world and Batman is his alter ego. But he created the Batman persona because he realized people needed that inspiration. And so I related to this a little bit because, yeah, I do it that I need to bike around thousands, like 7,000 pounds of food every year on my bike. No, I didn't need to do that. I probably could have got away with using a vehicle. But then people will come to me and say, well, Jared, since I, I saw that you, I know that you do this by bike and, and you're hauling like hundreds of pounds on your bike at a time. And since I knew you did that, that, made, that convinced me that I could ride my bike to church today. So thank you. So yeah, it was dramatic, and I think we're equipped here with the perfect type of community to create these kinds of dramatic examples for people around us, like where <clears throat> our ways of thinking are in line. Um, we're an amazing community, and like yeah, what other, what kind of better setup do you need to start creating dramatic examples for people around us? And so that is my talk. I th want to thank you for your attention. I want to thank Rachel for tempering me a little bit in what I was about to say. Uh, for grandparents, uh, for looking after the kids last night so that I could uh, think a little bit. And uh, thanks for your attention.